Hi, I'm Jennifer Mulholland. And I'm Jeff Shuck. We're the co-leaders of Plenty. Thanks for joining our podcast, Plenty for Everyone. Each episode, we talk with conscious leaders like you to explore abundance in work and life, fulfillment in head and heart, and ways we can all work together to make this world a better place. Thanks, everybody, for joining our wonderful conversation today. We are thrilled to speak with another change maker and conscious leader, Raquel Graham, who is an inventor and media personality and a dear friend of Jeff's. So we are going to have a juicy conversation like we like to have over the next 45 minutes. Thanks for tuning in. I'll kick it over to my co-host and co-leader, Jeff Shuck, to introduce our rock star. Hi, everyone, and thanks for being here. So we just have had so many awesome guests and talk about feeling blessed that you know people who are interesting and fascinating and stimulating and make you better. And that is Raquel Graham. Raquel and I went to Kellogg together and got our degrees together. We literally were in the same study group and there were some (laughs) hilarious moments of frustration and stress and deciding how much we should care about certain subjects. But she did a lot more in business school than I did because she was also pregnant and had a child during the whole experience. Went on to create a company called Rock Innovation that is just doing incredible things, makes a set of, I would say, fun products that Raquel designs herself and has twice sold out on Home Shopping Network lines of products. And maybe we'll get her to tell us a little bit about where her inspiration comes from and how she continues to innovate, even through these times of incredible change. She's um, responded through her business with new products. So she's also just a wonderful person, an incredible change agent, and someone I'm glad to call a friend. And it's really great to see you. So welcome, Raquel. Thank you for that lovely intro. (laughs) You made me laugh thinking of our time in business school. (laughs) I'm sure there's a ton of stories. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Well, it's so, it's so interesting. Like this is a great place to start because in an environment like that, there's so much stress that you, especially initially, everything seems so important, right? Like every single thing seems like it's critical. Jeff, that your comment where where we have to decide when we're going through how much we care because after a while, it just was like, oh my God. (laughs) Yeah, and I think that's like a lesson that I've drawn on a lot the last few months and that I think my relationship with Jen over the last five years has helped a lot. Like, trying to figure out like, what are the things that are really important to stress about and what aren't? And maybe to start there, we'd love to learn just, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners a little bit about your business, but you've had so many experiences that I think maybe have taught you what's important to care about and what isn't. Yeah, so Raquel Graham, founder and CEO of Rock Innovation. And Rock Innovation is basically a product development company, but that's a fancy way of saying that I create products that are inspired by my life. So my company started six years ago during the polar vortex. My kids were much younger and they hated wearing scarves. But during the polar vortex, obviously, you could not leave any skin exposed. 
And they were, what, five and nine or something like that. And it was WrestleMania every morning. I mean, it was such an awful experience getting out of the house every morning. I just knew like we could not go on this way. So pretty much found out what they didn't like. And it was the basics, bulky, itchy, just hated it. So I just figured that I'd just go online and find a, you know, an alternative, something different. Come to find out that there's been very little innovation in the scarf market. For kids that age, a turtleneck is not going to work. A gator is not going to work because that means that the whole coat zipper has to be all the way up top. And so I went to the fabric store, cut and glued something together, uh, sent it to my friends, came up with a bunch of prototypes, picked police and had the kids try it on. And when I got to a certain prototype, they wore it and never took it off. So then I created one in leopard and faux fur for me. And what's funny about my company is that it really started off as a kid product. It quickly landed on college campuses and then went into fashion, which if I had could choose, that was the last area that I was interested in. And to date, it has grown so much. I sell out every time on HSN and I have zero traction in kids, but tons of traction everywhere else. <laughs> and that's how my company got started, all from my kids, the Polar Vortex. I forgot that there was a Polar Vortex. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> like, did I miss that? What happened? <laughs> oh yeah, that Polar Vortex was big in my house. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I love the idea that, you know, especially with innovation, this in, in our times, it usually spawns, a solution spawns out of a need. And I love how you introduced your company is that it's really products around what you need in life, your lifestyle preferences and trying to solve for that. So as a mother of two and as a, you know, an entre- being an entrepreneur and having it explode in the fashion industry, what is challenging as you continue to make products that help to solve a need? Are you finding that the needs are endless? The needs are endless. Well, my needs are endless. I have a book. I could... (laughs) Mine too. I can roll out products you can't imagine. As a matter of fact, they just shift based on what's happening in the world. And so I go back and I look at my ideas sometimes and they were good for the time, but then things have evolved and some things move up. And so the hat, which is called Headlights, which is my hero product, that is I'm coming on year four of Home Shopping Network and QVC, which as a general rule is very, very hard to do to survive because that environment is strictly based on numbers. There's no favoritism. If you've seen the movie Joy, I always tell people I'm the black Joy. I didn't see Joy until two years later. Jennifer Lawrence and she plays Joy Mangano, the Huggable Hangers, and came up with the Twisty Mop. When I say that story, it could be my story. It's almost like you guys stole it from me. (laughs) But basically, you see this. When you're on air, you have a TV. You have a producer in your ear and you have a TV that you're watching like live. How many people are on air? How many people are buying online? How many people are on customer service? And you know, you have a metric in your head that you need to hit, that you hope to God you hit. 
It's literally live time. You can see it. You can see it. And you're just acting like you're like everything's okay. And depending <laughs> on and depending on what you're discussing, you have the producer in your ear because they can see, depending on what you're talking about, what is bumping the traffic. So if it's about dog walking or something like that, you know, you're doing more of that. So you it's not easy. I've done really well at it. I love it. So, yeah, but it's not an, an easy place. So I'm really proud to be coming into my, I think it's actually, this is going to be my fifth season. Well, it's amazing too, when you consider your personality is so dull. So, I mean, <laughs> I do, I'm going to just stop here because for those of you listening, to get a visual of all of this, and not only of Raquel, but of the products, go to rock-innovation and it's R-O-Q-innovation. And we'll put that URL in the, show notes and we'll say it a couple more times, but I'd love to back up even before this step and say, so how did you create the relate? How did you get on HSN to begin with? How did that all happen? Well, I love to tell this part because one of the challenges for me, so I'm probably going to skip ahead because I'm sure this would come out at some point is that I like to tell this story because I'm so bad with social media that I want people to know that there is hope for those who do not have tens of thousands of followers because not only did HSN find me, Oprah found me. I've been on Good Morning America. So there's hope for those of us that don't have tremendous followings because every time when things started to to grow and I got connected with HSN and and Oprah, I would say, how did you guys find me? Because I mean, I'm like a blip (laughs) I don't even know that's generous to say in the social media world. I'll tell you, even say for the old list, I mailed it in. Like I I did fancy packaging. I mailed it in like UPS. No, that's it. And within two days, they responded that they loved it. And that's been an ongoing relationship. I don't know if you saw that Oprah Magazine named Rock Innovation as one of their favorite Black-owned companies. So that's something I'm really... That's so great. Congratulations. And then for HSN, actually, our classmate, Steve Greenspan, who has been beyond incredible, seriously, to me. He introduced me to someone who had helped get him on HSN, and nothing had really happened. And quietly, I had had both at the time, they were still two separate companies. So I had two, both networks looking at it at the same time. And HSN took it first. And that's how I, that's how I landed. But it took, it takes like nine months almost to go through the whole process. And that actually, Jeff, during that process, I know for sure that the stress contributed to it. That was the year that I got sick. Yeah. So let's talk about that. There's many people, including myself, that have had a shared experience that can relate to stress-induced health issues that come as either a Mack truck to stop us in our tracks, to wake us up, to get our attention. And honestly, I hope that's part of my path is, and our path is to help wake up people consciously so that you don't need to get hit by the Mack truck because stress is a real, not only killer, but it also has incredible impacts if we're running too fast. 
and our society and those of us who are entrepreneurs and type A, we want to make change and we want to make a difference and we want to follow and see our dreams manifested into form. And the consequence, unfortunately, a lot of the times is us and our own health. So you have a personal experience with that. Maybe you could share what you're comfortable with of how that got your attention and what happened. So I'm not feeling well. And I tell my doctor, I'm not feeling well. Something is not right. I think I have pneumonia. And a couple of visits later, as I'm still not feeling well, but to this day, what annoys me the most is she says, this can go into another podcast when you hear this. (laughs) She says, nobody that looks like you has pneumonia. So I said, in my mind, what does that mean? So my girlfriends make a joke like, you need to put some froth on your mouth next time (laughs) so that people will take you seriously. As an entrepreneur, as a woman, you know how it is. We function. It doesn't matter, right? You function. So I was functioning, but I was not feeling well. Then I developed this, this cough. And so I'm skipping over steps, but what I'm describing lasts for about three. It lasts the summer. And so finally, my mom says, my mom's a nurse, and she says, do not leave that doctor's office until they give you an x-ray. She wouldn't give me an x-ray for my chest. Great insurance, the whole nine, right? So another podcast topic that I talked about constantly when I was going through it, and I said, I'm educated, I'm smart, I have, I'm aggressive, I have, I do my research, I have full insurance. I know my mom who is very quiet and passive or older or those that are not as educated, if that could happen to me, and when I say I pushed back, I questioned, I did every conceivable thing that you can think of to end up when I tell where I ended up, is crazy. So I knew going through this, I would say, my God, what happens to those who can't speak up, who can't afford it, who can't, you know, who don't have insurance, who aren't educated? So anyway, now, this is August 26th, a hot summer day. So you know what an emergency room would look like, right? I walk in, it is empty. They're like three people. So to me, that is God for sure. Because if I had seen 200 people, I would not have, right? So within 20 minutes, I'm in the back, they're testing and they say, okay, yes, you have pneumonia. We don't care about that. We, we can treat that. We can figure that out. It's your ankle that we are really concerned with. So we're going to take you up. So I get up in a full gown and everything. And the doctor says, you have blood clots. So you get comfortable. You can't go any, anywhere anyway. They take fluid from my ankle. And they said, okay, so we're going to analyze this. This is where it starts to get serious. Now, 10 doctors come back a couple hours later and they say, okay, so we can't identify exactly what you have, but what we do know, it's pretty serious. So we need to take fluid from your ankle now. It's not going to be pleasant, so, but we have to do it now and we have to see what we can find. And by now I'm really afraid. So let's just, I mean, cause so many things happen. I'm just going to like jump through this, but basically they said, we know you have a fungus or, or bacterial something. So basically I go into quarantine mode cause they're, they don't know, is it Ebola? Is it, there's this whole spectrum of what it could be and they can't identify it until the culture comes back. 
So meanwhile, it takes days for the culture to come back. They're going to treat you on the highest level, which is like a chemo, the most powerful medicine to just begin killing whatever it could be in your body. That's when it all goes downhill. Fast forward the next day. I remember distinctly being on my, because now I'm the elephant man. Honestly, I'm the healthy woman that they cannot understand. What is this? So now I'm telling you, there's no room for the amount of doctors. All the people that come into the room, every conceivable person that was available, I was, I was the case. I remember being on my right side and in a room of, it felt like 60 doctors and they're going over, I mean, just like the medical shows, they're going over the case, they're saying, and you know, patient A has this, that, the other. And I remember a doctor, and I remember this so clearly, them saying, she's having a stroke, she's having a stroke. Now in my mind, I am cursing every single person out, not realizing that nothing's coming out of my mouth because I was so frustrated. I'm like, I'm not having a stroke. Why can't anyone focus on the leg? Why can't anyone tell me what's going on? My mom had just stepped out of the room to go to the bathroom. And she said, as she was coming back, everyone was blazing into, because I had the stroke. I don't know how many days passed. And I had full sepsis. I had a fever of 104. On top of that, I mean, you name it. And then I can't remember the name of the medicine, but if there's a doctor listening, they, they'll know. It's because they give it a nickname. This is such bad medicine that you know, got to kill you to cure you first. And then it started to, my lungs crashed twice. So what I learned was that two things would have happened. So I had only 20% lung capacity left. I had a day or two. If I had not gone in, I just wouldn't have woken up at home. Now, my doctor, this all came out in post. He thought he was doing me a favor by showing me like how far I had come. So he showed me my lungs. This is my infectious disease doctor. So he showed me my lungs going in and what they look like once I started to go into recovery. And he thought he was doing me a favor. Clearly, he's been doing this so long that he's desensitized. So, <laughs> so he's like... You'll totally laugh at this in a few years. I'm like, I'll, nev I'll never laugh at this. So he said, you see this? You, no more than two days because your lungs are supposed to look like this. They were fully disseminated. Now, I, I guess I've skipped over. So blastomycosis is a, is a fungal pneumonia. It traveled to my ankle. And what blastomycosis ultimately does, it aims to kill you. It usually goes to the brain first whatever reason, it went down to my ankle. So on top of everything else, I had surgery to remove the fungus. So I had to learn how to walk again. My lungs crashed twice. I had ARDS, which is a lot of what COVID people are going through. The lungs just crashed. So I had that twice. So I was on a ventilator for like three weeks. I mean, everything, the kidneys, everything. And so all the doctors were there because no department could make a move without the other. What an experience you've had. So then after that, there's a whole year of recovery. So to get your organs. So you know how the hospital, Jen, system, right? So they want you out, but now you have to go through the recovery. So I went to the doctor three to four times a week to monitor the blood, to monitor every organ, 
for them to see as it was coming back. And I had to take this horrific, I can't believe I can't remember the name of it, but it's an antifungal with the prayer that after a year, my body would be immune to this blastomycosis, which is basically like pollen that everybody breathes in every day. You've already breathed it in like your entire life. And it's indigenous to the Wisconsin, Indiana, areas around the Great Lakes. Isn't that crazy? It's wild. What a story. It's crazy. And it's not, unfortunately, because I think two things I'm hearing in your story. One is I relate because I, I personally have had experience not as severe as yours, but with that frustration of the siloed healthcare system where the integrative model of healthcare is, we really haven't solved that yet. We are doing better, but it requires those of us who are in the center of that care, which you were, to be our own health advocates. And for listeners, I hear, and I, I can hear your passion, is the reminder that nobody is going to fix that for you. Your voice, your intuition, like the story, Raquel, that you share, like you knew something was off. You knew something and your doctor wouldn't give you the x-ray in the first place. And I think for anybody listening, you know, you, you know, your intuition knows when you're feeling off, when something you don't feel healthy or when something is getting your attention. And so there's a need now more than ever to speak up. And if you can't speak up to get somebody who can on your behalf in that model, that's one point. The other point that I just want to acknowledge looking at you in post experience of post stroke, post trauma, post pneumonia, how resilient the human is, how resilient the human body is. And I think we're living in a really scary time of COVID where you had some similar affects and impacts that people are scared of right now. And the hope in that is how resilient you are that your body could even come back and walk again from that, or that you could even be as vibrant with such vitality and energy as you're speaking today after going through something like that. And it's a great reminder to me, like our body knows how to heal and our body can restore and rejuvenate. What's so important is your mind as well. When I was ill, I kept asking my infectious disease doctor, cause he was the lead, like, am I gonna die? Am I gonna die? And his response, he, they would never say, but he would say, you've got to hang on. You have to hang on until the culture comes back. Because if it's something we know, if there's medicine, then you're in luck. He said, just hang on. Because I was like, I have two kids I need. So first of all, I had my kids' stuff splattered all over the hospital room. That was, that was it me. But what I learned in the hospital and even, and, and I say this post when you are released and I, I tell everyone this, cause I think this is so important. You have loved ones that are in the hospital. My mom came up, my sister came and my aunt. So I had three people round the clock. When you leave the hospital, I think is such a critical time for loved ones to understand that that is when they need you the most. 
first of all, it's lonely and depressing. And when you go through something like that, it is so scary because for me, I could not sleep because when my lung, my lungs failed twice. And I remember distinctly when just being woken up and having them shove the stuff down my throat. So I was always afraid to go to sleep for a super long time. I had post-traumatic stress disorder at least 18 months uh, coming out of the hospital because all of these things start to, there are a lot of studies that talk about people that were on ventilators and it takes a while for your mind to get back to, I mean, there's so many things that are off. Like it, it just takes a while. And I was determined when I came out of the hospital to do more than the average. I mean, first of all, I went on HSN two months after that. If you go back and look at the videotape, you'll hear the difference in my voice. I sound like a smoker, like I'm screaming. By that January, I had to have throat surgery because I had so much scarring in my throat from the constant intubation. I can go on and on. I mean, it's just like, there's so many things. Even to this day, I'll remember certain things in the, just out of the blue. You know, I don't sit and think about it anymore. But I know when I was in the hospital, you have to move your body. The two are so connected, right? So even if you don't feel like it, you have to move. You have to get, you know, and I think a lot of people, a lot of healing may not happen because one, they're, de they're depressed. Two, they may not have the mobility, someone to help, especially if it's winter. I mean, I activated everything humanly possible to, there was no way, it, the only way I was not going to get better if it's God said it was time. But I absolutely, now I'm back to, I train. I don't even remember that I, they said that I would probably walk with a limp. I have absolutely no limp. That I would need a cane. They gave me a cane and crutches. They sent it home. I left it. I didn't even bring it. Like I, I said, if you're going to get in trouble, then donate it to another room. But I'm not, <laughs> I'm not taking it. I'm not taking it. And I didn't. I mean, I was limping around for a while and hopping, but I didn't care. You have to just will yourself to as much as you can. And I think that's half the battle. And that is very hard to do when you are petrified. You don't know if you're going to wake up the next morning. That's very, very hard to do to motivate yourself. People who have been listening to this podcast know that at some point during every show, we usually say, we were talking before this because we sit down with our, our friends beforehand and just kind of shoot the, shoot the shit. And and one of the things we were talking about is, you know, we're taping this in mid-July. It's been four months of trauma, of absolute, there's disease all over the place. There's the literal disease of COVID. There's the disease of white supremacy. There's the disease of inequity in healthcare. There's the disease of huge holes in the social fabric. And it feels like we're right in the middle of 60 doctors in the room and everybody pointing in a different direction and nobody knows what the hell to do, but everybody knows something's off. And I think I'm curious about as we, as we explore this, this ongoing trauma with other conscious leaders, does that personal experience inform how you're looking at the world, how you're talking to your friends, how you're navigating with people black and white about what we can do to heal, how you're 
navigating with your own kids about how to respond to COVID. I'm really curious about, do you draw on that experience or am I making it too literal? Because it seems like such a literal metaphor for what we're all trying to figure the hell out right now. So here's the, I remember watching Oprah when she interviewed, what's the black comedian, Tracy Morgan. He had that car accident with the truck, the Walmart truck. His friend who was driving died, I think. And during that interview, she said something and I was like, what is she? I don't, I don't get it. And her statement was this, those who have almost lost their lives are in this secret club where you've seen something that none of us, we can talk about it, what you feel, what you've experienced, and more so your perspective on life is so different. But the way she coined it, it was almost like it was good special. (laughs) Um, And at the time, I didn't get it. And then I saw a repeat after everything, and I get it. And I would tell my friends all of the time, and it was a very weird space. For, I'd say, the first two years, I walked around feeling like there was a camera here, and I was on the other side of that camera watching my life. It was very hard to be present. It was like I was watching my movie. Very out of body, very weird. But what it did was it, perspective is just too small of a word to say what, you know, losing your life almost does. I mean, how it makes you see life. Now, after a while, certain things do trickle off. I mean, the stress starts all of, you know, your first year, nothing can stress you out. And then little by little, (laughs) it starts to creep its way back. But I think you develop a certain mechanism that keeps you a little bit more steady, a little less flustered. This whole COVID thing is, it's interesting. Personally, I have enjoyed, and maybe enjoyed is a strong word, but lockdown for me was not as difficult as I feel like it was for a lot of people. First of all, I was so incredibly stretched with running my two kids around. My scheduling was beyond, my life was so to the minute. Okay, we wake up at this time, drop off at this time, at the warehouse at this time, work out, maybe, this time, pick up, dinner. I'm talking no room for five minutes of something going wrong. To the minute the kids went to bed. I mean, it just was, and this has been years and years and years and years. So not to have to run around. For me, it was beyond liberating. I can't explain it. So that was great. Here's number two, because I'm an ex- you know very filled with anxiety around my kids. Having them with me all the time was great because I knew there was nothing to worry about. (laughs) Sounds crazy. Now, granted, never did take out. I cooked every meal. It had felt like hundreds of thousands 
<laughs> meals. I mean, every meal was cooked in this house. So there were different kinds of stresses, but in terms of mentally, it wasn't. Now, mind you, even trying to figure out my pivot, worrying about my business, all of that. But the calm that I felt that we were all together, if we were all together and healthy, we were good. That trumped all chaos. It trumped everything. Then everything else, now I could have more bandwidth around what am I going to do with the company? How do I strategize? How do we move forward? But that peace of mind, I know it's probably counterintuitive to most people that are going to listen, but that was peace for me. Well, it's fascinating, Raquel, in terms of what are we relying on that creates our stability, that peace of mind? What is our rock? And that's your beautiful nickname, but like, and company name, it's, there's no accident. Like, where do you find your rock within? And I hear that as a choice point throughout your sickness and trauma of you're choosing your will, you're relying on your will to thrive and survive. That is literally overpowering the alternative. And studies have shown all across the board that when you have a will to live, that is the strongest medicine any human being can have. The moment your will to to survive and thrive diminishes, guess what kicks in? Depression, apathy giving up. And then the force of other things take hold. So the reliance on for you, it was, we're all together. I'm calmer. I'm more peaceful. And so therefore I can handle all these other things with grace or with more ease and with more space. And I think our, we're finding that too, in that the work is in, within. It's like, where are we relying on? What is our inner rock when all the shitstorm and all the unpredictability and, and dis-ease, whether it's in the form of a health crisis or COVID, or whether it's a financial crisis or disconnection, wherever you're finding that dis-ease outside of yourself, we want to remind everybody to look for that within. What can you rely on that you know to be true, that you're choosing to empower? Because all throughout your story, I'm hearing, we're hearing a choice point. You always made a choice to rely on getting through, overcoming, living. And I think we have equal opportunity in that choice point and we're living at a time where we really need to step up and, and make that consciously. We've been saying this all spring, and I think you have to say it in a certain way, but a big theme of the podcast has been there are a lot of blessings during this period. The cost we've all paid and a number that millions of people have paid is too high. We need reckoning as a country and a society about what kind of costs you have to pay but that being said, I think Jen and I both feel the same way about the COVID period. And it's been, it's really shown us how fast we want to run. And, and also shown us, we talk about being productive versus being constructive. And a lot of productivity is not constructive. It doesn't lead to anything. So I just want to mirror back. I think with the people we've talked to, a consistent theme is people have said, I wish so many people haven't gone through 
hardship. But for me, I found some peace. And I do think that's the sign of a consciousness we all have. And I think there's also, without being too Pollyanna about it, I think the same metaphor applies to our country. Because I see a lot of people, Jen, to your point, kind of saying, well, screw it. It's so screwed up that I don't want to do it anymore. And I do think as a country, we're going through a big illness, but we have to decide together that, well, we're choosing to survive together, that we're, we're going to get the fungus out. And I think, I think there's an, a really interesting metaphor there, Rock, about wanting to put down the cane and wanting to say, we will work together as hard as it takes. So I appreciate you sharing that story. And I, I don't know if it's what we thought we'd talk about, but there's a lot of great takeaways. And I am, I'm kind of babbling on here, but I am interested. Did you ever go back in your own mind or heart and say, wow, my stress in some way, shape or form, like made me vulnerable to that? Like, did you, is that something that you believe or you think it was totally unrelated or do you know what I'm asking? Like, oh yeah. Well, I think I think what you're asking is because th- this one is difficult. Accepting the randomness of life that is a big piece of it. So I definitely think stress was a big part of it. First of all, I kept it quiet. HSN has been my dream forever, right? That was a goal. If you look at my business plan from the beginning of time, Oprah, all of these things were. But HSN was the first. And I didn't tell anybody because I didn't think I'd get it. So I didn't even want to, I didn't even want to share it to have it, you know, people say, oh God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> right. On top of dealing with the illness, on top of dealing with the stress, on top of keeping it quiet, totally, how do you say, BSing my way through the HSN system, meaning acting way bigger than I was but knowing that if I could get the opportunity, I could do it. So learning fulfillment literally in a week (laughs) to be able to (laughs) convince them that I could move 10,000 units a day, just all of that and wanting it so badly. The other podcast, honestly, is, and this is a big one for women, because this is another thing that came out of my illness. Although I'm a certain type, so I do thrive off of the work, I am much better about just letting some things go. I can't do it all. Or if this, if I'm not, if I don't get this, it doesn't rattle me. It doesn't rattle me like it used to. Yeah. And for sure, a whole nother episode needs to be dedicated to that. We call that loosening the grip, whether it's women or men, we're running so fast and we're, a lot of it is false emphasis of control of needing to control our activities, the pace, people, relationships to feel worthy and to feel in control of ourselves. And that gang gang is the biggest joke on the planet. So part of, it's just, we've, we need to re-architect what we're learning and reverse it because it's just not healthy. But, but I think that that's, I mean, that's all part of, I, I call them COVID silver linings because COVID has forced many of us to sit still, which is close to impossible (laughs) in our regular life, right? So it got so, I mean, to the point where, no, your business had to shut down and you really had to 
you were forced to, whether you're that kind of person or not, to really deal with some things far beyond business. You know, I've heard stuff with relationships, relationship with your kids. Like, I mean, there's some juicy topics out there about what has happened due to COVID. And a lot of that introspection, is that the right word? Was um, overdue. I mean, and then the broader piece is the government. I mean, you know, our world, our disparities. What I will say is that I think that this is no accident. The timing of it, the timing of COVID versus George Floyd and being cooped up in the house and then the rage was us being forced because of being in lockdown to watch and witness, whereas we all would have been on the move and, you know, we wouldn't have seen it. We had to see it 10,000 times for it to, for it to simmer and boil. And then regardless of what the rules were, people were in the streets. I mean, that's all divine to me. It's all divine. Now, I think that this journey is scary as hell though, because you don't know how it, how it's going to end right? It's all going to be divine. Changes is always rough and ugly. And I think that's just where mentally I am. Just like I'm already prepared for if the kids can't go back to school, then they can't go back to school. This is not the time to be rigid (laughs) at all, right? I mean, if there's anything to practice now, it is how to be as fluid as possible. Yeah. Fluid, flowing, agile, and to stay still. Because when we still, we surface and there's a lot of garbage. There's a lot of misunderstanding. There's a lot of misplaced power that we've given away underneath the surface. And so I think the unrest when people have to still at home and their relationships are dysfunctional in the first place, or there's things that are not spoken, or there are family patterns that need to stop the cycle of pass down when we're still those surface where there is the most pain i will say this this bothers me constantly so i am clear and aware how fortunate i am and us on this call to be in a situation where we have food we have a place to live what bothers me a lot. I mean, a lot. It's like right here is the folks that do not have this environment. Now we're talking a different situation, your everyday lockdown, and you don't know where the money's coming from, how to eat. And then even worse than that, I think about the kids, right? Now, many living in one home, just the disparities that are just that would make this kind of situation unbearable. Yeah, or the, I mean, a a false choice that we've talked about a lot all spring is this idea that for many communities, schools have to reopen because it's the primary way that people get fed. And that, like, who set up a system like that and why do we tolerate it? And, And that, I think what feels present to me as we start to wrap up at least this conversation for now is you didn't go through a traumatic experience and say, "Woo, I was lucky. I guess I'll keep going. Like we go through trauma and if we're awake and aware, 
it changes our trajectory and you chose to make it a positive change. And I, I think that's, it's inspiring and it's moving and it's what I know about Raquel from way back in the day. So more to talk about. And many more conversations and podcasts are in store on all the other subjects. I could talk forever. <laughs> we will have you back for sure. I want to, I want to do the URL again. It's rock-innovation, R-O-Q-innovation.com. Now there's masks. There's a whole bunch of things that you'll find, I think, helpful I for your- Math business is crazy. And I didn't even want to do it. My friends were like, you have to. It is, it's unreal. <laughs> they're good. They're good looking too. I need, I need to stop wearing- And they're great quality. Things. They're real. And they're made in Chicago. I went back to my first- yeah. We also want to talk about that, about what you learned about supply chain and manufacturing. But that's going to be, that's going to be the next. That's a doozy. <laughs> Raquel, you are the best. Thanks so much for being on here. Thank you all for having me. This was great. To be continued. We're here for you. Keep rocking it, literally and figuratively. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks everyone else for joining us. Like we say every episode, if you liked what you heard, please subscribe write us a review. We do read all of the reviews and we really appreciate them. So until next time, folks, stay safe and be well. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in. Join the conversation and learn more at plentyconsulting.com.